This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, so it's Thursday night, Erev Shabbos, Parshish Vayikra. Long day today, from morning to night, just people in a lot of pain. You know, when, when you're Torah call and you go back to your families and everyone's getting together, and some people don't have families, and some people have no support. You know, Torah is the hardest time to be alone. So there's a lot of people in a lot of pain right now. Because they're not home, they don't have a home, they don't want to be home, they're abused at home, whatever. This week's Pasha, so anyway, I, have to, I want to tell you a story that happened today. So a girl walked into my office. She said, God, uh, uh, Rabbi Wallstein, I'm going to tell you my name. Don't ask me any questions. I want to know one thing. What's the punishment for suicide? I was like, that's not a good question. Um, she said, I just want to know what's the punishment for suicide. I'm like, Kafakela, you don't go into the next world, you're stuck, you come back, you end up in a worse place. I don't know, you know, what depends why you committed suicide. If it was because you're in pain and, and, and it was a moment of shtus, whatever, then it's nothing, then all this stuff doesn't, you know, all this stories, whatever. So she said, well, I'm in a lot of pain, doesn't mean nothing's going to happen to me. I said, no, and we're not getting into this discussion because you're not committing suicide. You're just not going to commit suicide. We're going to, we're going to help you. And it was a long conversation, but I want to get to a certain point of the conversation. So she said that since she's a little girl, she'd been talking to Hashem, and she did everything right. The regular story did everything right. The ones who did everything wrong, they're married. They're, they're, I'm, I have nothing, and I did everything right. And I really don't believe. I believe there's a God. I believe in God, but I really don't believe that He cares about me or is near me or has anything to do with me. He just created this world and. So I said, you know, it's interesting that you're saying this to me, and um, it's really something I prepared to give tonight in my share. The share. She said, really? I said, yeah, you see, there's, there's a saying that we know that Hashem went into Mitzrayim with us. Right? He went into Mitzrayim. I forgot the certain words in the Chumash, but he went into Mitzrayim with us. Anoichi imcha matzara. Don't think you're alone. I am with you in your pain. So I said, I was going to ask a bomb question tonight to my boys. God, if you're with me in my pain and you're God, why don't you just take me out of my pain? I don't need you to be with me in my pain. I need you to get me out of the pain. I'm supposed to feel better? God, hello, you're the one that get me out of my pain? Oh, I'm with you in your pain. Now you're in jail, and I'm in jail with you. I'm still in jail. So I said, what's, what's going on over here? We're supposed to feel better. And then it says, when we went into Golos, the Shekhinah is, by the, uh, is dressed in black. It's by the Koisel. Hashem didn't leave us. He's with us in our Golos. Hashem, take us out of Golos. You have the power. So I said to her, how's it supposed to make me feel better that, that, that you... You put me into this pain. You put me into Mitzrayim. Oh, and now you're with me there? Thank you. Why did you put me here in the first place? And I said to her that there's certain things we don't have choice in life and there's certain pain that we go through to be masaking, to fix. Last time, this time, one time, we don't know. Moshe Beno asked Hashem, Tzadik Viraloi, I don't understand you have a tzaddik. Why, why would he be in pain? You could take him out of that pain. Russia, why are you letting him be having a good time? Take him out of there. And Moshe Benu did not understand that. And neither did Dabana Melech. And Moshe Benu didn't ask too many questions, but that was one question he did ask. And Hashem said, I have a cheshbin, and if you want to see my cheshbin, then you have to be from the beginning of the world to the end of the world and see each neshama and exactly what happened. But we don't understand that. So... My answer to the question, I told this young girl, not so young, but whatever I said. When my, when my daughters gave birth, so when you give birth, you're in a lot of pain. And you go to the recovery, right? And the mother and father come to the daughter and they stand next to the bed or any surgery and they hold her hand and they brush her hair and they put cool things on their face and 
knowing that there's someone there for you makes you feel so much better and it happens to be the Jewish the, the doctors and nurses are, they, 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 they don't understand they can't grip that every Jewish patient has 40 family members that want to come see them you know and all those security guards downstairs are like what's going on there's like 12 people in that room already you want to go up there right because that's how we are we're, we're, and other people are laying there Nobody ever comes to visit them. They have children. Nobody comes to visit them. They have grandchildren. Nobody comes to visit them. In the nursing homes, the non-Jewish, nobody comes to visit them. And the Jewish grandmother has pictures and children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and suitcase and chana. So when you're in pain, knowing that there's someone holding your hand makes you feel a lot better, that somebody cares. And sometimes you have to have surgery. And you can't say to the doctor, well, why did you do the surgery? Why did you put me in this pain? It's very nice that you're here for me and you came to visit me and you came in the morning to visit me, but you, you're the, and the doctor said, what do you mean? If I wouldn't put you in the pain, I couldn't do the surgery. So I had to put you in the pain, but I'm not leaving you. I'm going to be by your bedside 24-7. Jewish people have family by their bedside 24-7 to make sure that the nurse and the doctors don't make any mistakes and they're there all the time. That's what Bikr Cholim is. It's a mitzvah. So Kosh Baruch Hu said, you have to be in Mitzrayim, guys. You have to become a nation. You have to gel. You came into Mitzrayim as 71 separate people. And you have to become a nation. And then you're going to become a nation through Avdos, through slavery. And you're going to be there for each other when you leave Mitzrayim. And this is something you have to go through. You have to go through the Meitzah. And he, Hashem told us to Avinu that it was going to happen. So we had to go through it. But if God, you had to put me in here to become better and to change and to make me who I am, at least stay here with me. Don't, don't put me in here and walk out on me. So I said to this girl, I said, yeah, I don't understand and I'm not going to answer you why the stuff you went through, you went through, because I'm not God, I have no idea. But I can tell you one thing, that he's with you in your pain. Why doesn't he take away your pain? Because for some reason that's your teacher and that's what you need. And, and he will take you out of this pain and jumping out of the jumping out of life is not the answer because then your tikkun is totally not done and then you got to come back and do a whole new tikkun that, that last time you didn't commit suicide but you had other tikkun to do now you got to do a tikkun on suicide oh my god so Anechi Imcha Batsara tells us yes you're in Gullus for 2,000 years but we don't understand that if we were not in Gullus for 2,000 years we could not have Mashiach whatever that time is when Mashiach comes the level of Amunah that you're going to have to have has to be built through people who came out of the Holocaust and still believed in God people who, who watched Jews get burnt at the stake in, in, in Spanish Inquisition and they became Moranos or they, or they kept Yiddishkeit or, right? and they stuck with it you have to see all this stuff because when Mashiach comes there's going to be such a test in everyone's Amunah that we're, the whole cholesterol is going to still exist as we do today through assimilation, through pornography, through all the garbage that's out there in the world that's shooting at us to destroy us. We're a nation, Amche Ayref, we're sticking together, the from world. And where did that come from? That came from 2,000 years of persecution. So Hashem's like, I got to put you through this and you're going to go through this, but you need to know something. I left my Shekhinah in the world and she's at the Koso and she's dressed in black and you are not alone and you'll never be alone. It says, Shechina never leaves the Kaisal. And that's something that a Jewish person has to know. And that's, that's the Seder, where we sit by the Seder, that the Kishbuch was always there, and he heard our cries, and he saw our pain, because he was there. That's very important when it comes to the moon of a person. You have to jump in, not jump out. Anyway, so last night I spoke on a whole different subject that I've never spoken about. And that's the, 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 well, it's not, I've spoken about it, but the two questions, I asked two questions last night in my share. Question number one is, matzah is lechem oni. Matzah is called halachma'anya, the bread of the poor man, right? Four reasons that I know. One reason is that it never rose, his hopes never rise. Number two, matzah doesn't digest, it constipates. So when you eat it, that you stay, you feel full for much longer than if you eat bread. So a poor man, he doesn't have food, he wants to feel full. Number three, 
it's made out of very poor ingredients, just water and flour. There's no, there's no oil, there's no honey, there's no other, no sugar. So it's made from very, very poor ingredients. And the, and the, and the fourth reason is the matzah you crack. And being that an onion doesn't believe he's going to have food later, he's always saving his food. So he cracks a piece, he eats, he puts the rest in his pocket. But the bottom line is, it's called halachmanya. It's called poor man's bread. So the question is, if it's poor man's bread, then why do you lean when you eat it? When you eat the matzah, you have a mitzvah to lean. Mara, you don't lean. It's bitter. Right? You don't lean. But, but matzah and the kaisas, you do lean. So the kaisas, we know it's sweet, it's wine, it's, it's malchus. But if matzah, if matzah represents being poor and broken, broken spirit, then you should be sitting up straight like when you eat the mara. Why are you leaning like a king, but eating like a poor man? I never asked this question before. It's the first time I've asked this question. It's a good question, no? It's a great question to ask. I understand, I understand matzah, and I understand leaning, but I understand leaning when I eat matzah. I'm going to tell you a story that's going to explain it. But that's one kasha. And of course, the other kasha is the whole manashtana, right? The first two is poor man's bread and bitterness, and the second two is dipping like a king and sitting like a king. What am I supposed to be doing tonight? Where am I at? What am I supposed to be doing? So the first thing I want to talk about there was a school that didn't let me speak in their school, a very religious school. The reason that was given is that when Rabbi Wallstein opens up the minds of the girls, it causes them to have questions. Questions? Questions are very dangerous. We don't want Wallstein coming in there and opening up people's minds. Chas v'shalom. They just not allowed to have questions. So I told this principal when I heard about it, I said... Are you scared of questions because you don't have teachers who can answer it? Like, why are you scared of questions? He says, no, because once the person has questions, they start asking all kinds of, who, 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 who is Hashem's father? All these, these, these things that no one can even have an answer. So, just better left alone, Rabbi Wallerstein. I'm like, really? So, like, you don't teach Rashi? Because, of course, we teach Rashi. I'm like, every second Rashi is a question. So, Rashi asks questions. Rashi's not scared that you're going to start asking questions. Or how about the Gemara? Right, fake the Gemara, the Gemara all the time. Ask the Gemara. What do you mean? Oh, the Gemara is asking. Maybe I should start asking too. Right? So we don't seem to be scared of questions. So I don't know where this mentality is coming from. But I got nowhere with her. I never spoke there, and I'm probably never going to speak there because she doesn't want someone who's going to wake them up to ask questions. This poor Rebbitzin has no idea what chinuch is. How do I know? Because the Haggadah begins before anything with four questions the, the Haggadah which is the Haggadah says that every single person has to say Manashtana a little kid a grandmother, a grandfather a big Rav who knows the answer to the questions everybody has to say Manashtana I have to say Manashtana why? The answer is, the basis of Judaism, of Yiddishkeit, is asking questions. Never be scared to ask questions. So before we build the human being, because on the night of the Seder, we're building Kla Yisrael, because the first time we came out as Am Yisrael, as a nation, was when we left Mitzrayim, we first time we came out as a nation in Kabbalah we learn that at the Seder you actually build a human being because a nation is made from many human beings and that the Gemara says that from the mother comes the organs and all the things in the human body that have color blood veins a heart a lung they all have color comes from the mother from the father comes all that does not have color the white of your eyes the white bones of your body the skeleton, the skeletal that comes from the father and of course the neshama of life comes from God those are the three partners so this is from Rav Shem Shem Pinkus, and he said that if you take the organs of an animal and you put them in a pile and you take the organs of a human being you put them in a pile and you ask not a biologist but a regular human being which is human, which is animal, you will not know because a heart looks like a heart and a lung looks like a lung and a liver looks like a liver and a kidney looks like a kidney. So, But if you take the skeleton 
of an animal and the skeleton of a human being, you will know right away which is a human being and which is a skeleton. Because the skeleton is the basis of the first part of the human being. It's the foundation of the human being. And then on the skeleton, you put sinews and muscle and blood and, and heart and organs. You fit into all the different parts. But the frame, the frame, the frame of a human being is his bones. And what represents, what represents in the Seder, what represents the bones, the, the, the foundation, the skeleton, what represents that? The matzah, the matzah. The matzah is white. Some of them get burnt, some are whole wheat, but they're white. And therefore, the Seder, the, the charoses and the mora and everything that is, is on top is on top of the three, the Kayen, Levi, and Yisrael Matzis. They're the foundation of the, of the, of the, of the Ka'ara. And then on top of them lays all the organs. The Etzem, the foundation of the person that you're building, the, 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 the Sipa is the soul that comes from Hashem. The wine, which is color, comes from the mother. And the, and the matzah comes from the father. So we build this human being through the Seder. The Seder represents the Seder of life. So we're building this human being. Foundation of the human being is his bones, is the matzah. That is the foundation that we're building of this nation. And therefore the Zayar calls matzah lechem de meimenusa, the bread of emuna. For you cannot build a Jew without emuna. The tefillin and the davening and all the organs and the tzitzis and all the mitzvahs that you do, all the colorful mitzvahs and sukkah and lulav and esther and all the colorful mitzvahs that you do, if you don't have emuna, they're just a bunch of organs in a pile and you can't even tell that it's human. The main part of building a Jew and a Jewish nation is lechem demei minusa. It is the bread of emuna. And therefore, one of the reasons that one of the reasons that we lean when we eat the matzah is the matzah represents the meimenusa, the emuna that Klai Yisrael had that took them out of Mitzrayim. And therefore, even though it's it's poor man's bread, now this is very important. A lot of people make this mistake. When you, when you say the Haggadah, it says you have to say Pesach matzah umara, right? Pesach Matzah Amah because when they left Mitzrayim they left Pesipazon they didn't have time for the betzek for the for the flour to the dough to bake and therefore it baked very fast and they had matzah and that's why we eat matzah many kashas on this it couldn't have baked on their back I spent a lot of time on this last year how could it bake on their back it's so hot if it was that hot it would kill you it's going to be 180 degrees we wouldn't be able to live so it says, no, it didn't bake on their back, just the opposite. It didn't bake on their back till they got to their first stop. And at the first stop, they had ovens and they baked the matzah. The miracle was that it didn't become sour on their back. Because normally, you have to, 18 minutes, it becomes sour. Okay, whatever. There's a machlokas. There's one mafarish I found that said it did bake on their back. It was a miracle that it didn't have to get that hot for it to bake on their back. We spoke about this last year. So anyway, so, so the matzah, the question is like this. When they were in Mitzrayim, they were given a commandment to eat Pesach, Matzah, and Mara. But they didn't leave Mitzrayim yet. So there was no miracle of Matzah. So why were they eating Matzah? Lezecha what? Lezecha that when we leave, it's going to be in a rush. You didn't know that. And it says in the Haggadah that the Matzah is Lezecha when they ran out. Not lezecher, the matzah that they ate in Mitzrayim before midnight with the Korban Pesach. Why did they eat that matzah? Nothing happened yet. And the terrace is that it was a mitzvah l'shah for that moment. There's nothing there with them leaving. Why did Hashem give them a mitzvah to eat matzah if they didn't leave yet? Why did they need matzah? What did that do for them? What did matzah do for them? Why would he make them eat matzah with the Quran Pesach? Pesach, right? There's also a question. Hashem didn't pass the doors yet. 
that the Mitzvah died and the Jews lived, but the, they ate the Kompetah before all that happened. So, all this, okay, Mara, I understand, they had, were having a, a, a bitter life, but Pesach and Matzah, why'd they, have to, why'd they eat that in Mitzrayim? That's before the miracle, it was celebrating the miracle. But now we eat Matzah, the Balagod says, not because of the celebration that they had the day before they left Pesach, the night before they left Pesach, but because it, it, it baked on their back. So it seems to be that the Jews needed to have matzah before there was a reason to have matzah. Follow? These are, these are really good questions. They're very, very solid questions. And the Teretz, I'm going to answer to you the Teretz with a story. And some of the boys who are here a long time ago know the story. A lot of people don't know the story. And the answer is as follows. Beautiful answer. Anyway, going back just for one second to the Manashtana. So, the Balagada doesn't agree with this Rebbitzin. The Balagada says, you need to ask questions. When something's different and not normal, you ask why. The boy, the child that's coming to the table has seen the table set like this before. He thinks he's coming to a Shabbos table. It looks like a Shabbos table. It's clean. It's got, pla- it's got you know, the tablecloth. It's got silver cups. It, right? So he comes to this table and he's like, Shabbos table. But there's no challah. Shabbos table always has challah. So dad, I don't understand. Every other night, He's just asking a very curious question. I we challah. What's this? Why are we eating matzah tonight? Then he looks on. He sees on the on the ka'ara mara. They don't eat mara at a shop's table. So he's like, we, we eat vegetables. Mommy makes a salad, but we don't eat mara. So why are we eating mara? And then he sees a little thing of water. He says, what's that? And the mother says, that's salt water. Salt water? We never have salt water on the Shabbos table. Why do we have salt water? And why is daddy leaning? You always tell him to sit up straight. Why did you bring him a pillow to the table? You would never let us even come in pajamas to the table on Shabbos. What's going on over here? So he's asking four questions because of what he sees, because of what he perceives. But he doesn't ask. On all the nights, Dad makes Kiddush once. Tonight, he makes Kiddush four times. What's going on? Unless his father's an alcoholic, then, it's not, then he's not going to ask the question. And my Rebbe in eighth grade asked us this question. He said, how come there's not a fifth question? All the nights, you drink one cup. Tonight, you drink four cups. No guy in the class could figure out the answer. He asked it to us on a Friday, and he gave us a, an answer on the Sunday, and I, oh, I remember it from eighth grade. It was such an easy answer that we didn't get it right. It was not, it was impossible to understand. What did the kids see so far? How many cups? He sees one cup. As far as being kiddush, there's no manashtana. It's normal. It's regular Shabbos night. He asked the Manashtana after you make Kiddush. So when he's asking the Manashtana, he's like, matzah don't belong here. What's with the bitter stuff? Why are you letting me lean, ma? You never let me lean, right? What's with the dipping? But he's not asking what's with the cup of wine because Tati always makes a, a Kiddush on a cup of wine. He didn't see the second, third, and fourth yet. So of course he doesn't ask him the Manashtana. It's like so, you know, you know, we were just like, we're thinking to Rutsin, Kabbalah, Maisa, Zachim. He would never ask that question. Now the girls have to say Manashtana too. Because the basis of building a Jew is to have questions. Gemara has questions. Rashi has questions. Rishayim have questions. Rakiv Eger has questions. Achoyim have questions. That's, that's Tyra. There's nothing wrong with it. Unless you're scared that the Torah is not the truth. And if you're going to ask questions, you're going to find out it's not true. So I said it in my share last night. I said, the people who are scared of questions, maybe they don't believe that the Torah is true. 
if the Torah is true, and I believe the Torah is true, the more questions I ask, the more truth I find, right? If it's true. If I believe it's true, the more questions I ask, the more truth I find. The more people learn Torah and, and, and learn Gemara and learn all the questions and kashas v'turutim, right? The more they believe. If you're scared that maybe it's not true, then you're like, well, if I'm going to open up my class to questions, you're going to find out that the Torah is false. If you really believe that it's true, question away. Yeah, but Rabbi Wallenstein, maybe someone, a girl in the school is going to ask a question and you're not going to know the answer. And then you're going to think that our Torah isn't true. It's Rebbitson. You don't learn Gemara. If you learn Gemara, you wouldn't be saying what you're saying. You see, they were Tanaim. They did Tchiasamesim. They were much bigger than Wallerstein and much bigger than Yit Rebetzin and much bigger than anyone that's living in our generations and bigger than the Chafetz Chaim and bigger than the Chaim Kainetsky. They were Tanaim. They were Chakodesh. They spoke to angels. They brought back the dead. I said, Rebetzin, if you would learn the Gemara, you would know a word that would answer your question. There are many times in the Gemara is a machlokas. I happen to know it very well because one of the Gemaras that I taught my whole life in eighth grade was Elimitzius. And in Elimitzius, this word is used a lot. And it's called Teku. Tough Yud Kaf Alf. Um, yeah, Teku. Vav. Tough Yud Kaf Vav. Kuf Vav. What does it stand for? Tishbi Mashiach. Yitarit will answer. Kashis are questions, Vishailas and our questions. Tinaim were not scared that for thousands of years Jewish people are going to learn that there were questions asked of them and they answered, I don't know the answer. When Moshiach comes, we will find the answer. Why would they scared to say that? Oh, if you don't know the answer, then maybe it's not true. I said, any guy that learns Gemara knows take you, take you, take you, take you, take you, take you all the time. That the Chachamim are saying, we don't know all the answers. The Tanaim, they're doing that Ruch HaKadosh. We don't know all the answers. So what? So what? When Mashiach comes, we'll find the answers. Where are you running? Oh, you want to run out of Yiddishkeit? So you want to have questions? Oh, without answers? So your question is your answer to your misbehavior. Well, nobody, no, now, I never heard in my life that a guy went off to Derech and became an atheist. You know why, Rabbi? Because of Teku. The Gemara said, Teku, I'm out. It's like, yeah, we understand. We learn Gemara that there are certain questions that we see, can see both sides and we don't know which way to go and we'll wait for Mashiach. And we believe he's coming any minute, so it's not such a long wait. Interesting, the beginning of the Gemara Bab So it says, Peres Mifuzarim. If you find spread out fruit, there's no simon, you're allowed to keep it. So the Gemara asks, what's considered spread out? It's considered spread out. Two apples next to each other, two apples at two ends of the street. So the Gemara gives a measurement. Kav, let's say a pound, ba'arba amos, and eight feet. That's called spread out. If you have a pound of apples spread out in a diameter of eight feet, that's called spread out. So Rabbi Yeshua, I think it was Rabbi Yeshua, asks, a little bit of a troublemaker, he says, what about half a kav and two amos? If spread out is kav ba'arba amos, what's the halach of if you cut the fruit in half and you cut the space in half? Now you would all say it's the same thing, right? He says, no, there's two sides to it. If the reason that a man won't come back to a kabba almost that fell off a wagon, if the reason is because it's so spread out, eight feet, so anything that would be in four feet, he would come back for. If the reason is because a kab is not worth enough, the fruit is not worth enough, right? So half of that fruit is surely not worth enough. So he won't come back. So there's a side that he will come back, side he won't come back, because we don't really know why the measurement of kabba arba almost is that measurement. They said, we don't know. Take him. Oh, I got another one. How about two kavim 
in eight feet. So if it's because four feet is spread out, eight feet is much more spread out, he definitely won't come back. But if the reason that he's not coming back is because it's only a calf, one pound, two pounds, it's worth a lot more. He will come back. Take him. First daf and Elam Did the kid get up and say, oh, they didn't know the answer. I'm out of here. No, it's healthy to ask. And it's healthy to say sometimes, don't know. I'm on a plane with my grandchild. He says, Zaydi, this plane looks so big. It looks so heavy. How do you know that when it flies into Shemayim, it's not going to fall? I'm like, I don't know why, but they don't usually fall. You need to answer the question. I want to know aeronautical physics. How does a plane fly? And the answer is, I don't know. I trust the plane that planes fly. And they have pilots and they fly. Say, what, you want to make up stories? You have to say, I don't know. Want to make up stories? Do you know how a plane flies? You don't know. You didn't take physics. Many times I've been asked how that George Washington Bridge is standing like that. From so far apart underneath, how that mid-span stands. Did I go to engineering school and architectural school? I don't understand it. Do I drive over it anyway? Yes. Because I understand that the bridge is there. I don't understand everything about the bridge. I understand that God is in the world, but I do not understand everything that he does and who he is. But I understand that he's here. I understand there's a bridge, and I'm driving over the bridge. But how that bridge works, I have no idea. I don't know if most engineering students know. So the basis of that God is we want our children at the Seder to ask and ask and ask. Maybe Ray Wallstein's wrong. Maybe you just want to speak in this school so you made up this whole speech. So there's a halach in Shulchan Aruch that proves I'm not wrong. And Allah Shulchan Aruch says that if you, if Chatz V'Shalom, it should never happen to anyone who's listening to this year. If you're alone by a Seder, just you and yourself, Chatz V'Shalom, in a hospital, you're lost, whatever, in a country, you got stuck and on business, and then you're by yourself. Do so you have to say the Manashtana? What are you going to ask yourself? Manashtana is you're asking somebody else. Shulchan Aruch says you have to, you have to say the Manashtana and ask yourself. Why would I ask myself, Manashtana? Who's going to answer? Right? Why am I asking myself? I know the answer. And the answer is you have to, to be a Jew and to build a nation and to build a Jew, you have to ask. So it's not on the answer. It's not on who answers. It's on the ask. That's how important. It's how lucky. It's how important it is for you to ask that if you're on your own and there's no one there to answer. It's not about the answer. If you say the Manashtana and you walk up and you leave, you said the Manashtana. I'm not telling you to get up and leave, but you said the Manashtana. And every single person, the woman, man, old, young, every single person, little baby, don't, you don't have to be by mitzvah, every single kid, every single person, even if you're alone, you have to ask these four questions. Because we cannot go to the rest of the Haggadah until you are a person who asks. That is Yiddishkeit. And we have to stop stopping kids from asking. And if you don't know the answer, then prepare that you do know the answer. Da, ma, you have to know, says the picture, what to answer in Apikairis. You have to learn the answers to what you answer in Apikairis. And therefore, allow the kids in class to ask Hashkafa questions. And if you don't know the answer, call your rub. And if the rub doesn't know the answer, call, send a, a, a fax to Chaim Kainesky. But find someone to get you the answer. But never shut down a kid and say, you cannot ask that. Because when you say that, you're shutting them down. Oh, can't ask that? Why not? You can say, I don't know the answer. We'll work on it. We'll look. We'll try. We'll try. We'll look. I had that situation. I said last night about the butterfly. I had that situation in eighth grade. I went to my rabbi and I asked him, you know, I was a little bit out of the box and I asked him, I don't understand why, why, why grass, why, why, why caterpillars become butterflies? Like, why does Hashem just create caterpillars and butterflies? A lion, a, a, a cat, a cat, a little pussy cat doesn't become a lion. 
So why would he take a, a bug, a, a little caterpillar, and make a whole thing goes into a, it, it struggles and a metamorphosis and it goes like a cocoon, got some mices, got some zachim. Just create a butterfly, you create a mosquito, create a butterfly and create a caterpillar. And I asked him why. And he said, you don't ask questions. And I decided at that point that I need to know the answer. Because I didn't ask the question because I still wanted to ask the question. I asked the questions because I really wanted to know. So I went to Memorial Finkelstein Memorial Library at that time. I got a, no one had an encyclopedia in those days, Encyclopedia Britannica. I looked up and I read and I learned all about this, this insect called the butterfly and that when it becomes a butterfly, it's not the same species as it was as a caterpillar. Godless. Total godless. He didn't answer my question though. Encyclopedia didn't ask my question, didn't answer my question. Why does a caterpillar become a butterfly? Why didn't Hashem? He ran out of time? How do you know he didn't run out of time, everybody? Come on, you guys are not awake tonight. He's from Eretz Yisrael. He has an excuse, but... How do you know that Hashem didn't run out of time? And that's why he said, you know what, I made a caterpillar? Okay, it'll become a butterfly. What? He didn't work with time. He worked with time. The first day, the second day, the third day. When were the insects created? So how could it be that he ran out of time? They would have to be created the sixth day at the end of almost Chavez. And then he could have run out of time. He didn't run out of time. He didn't run out of time, but I'm saying. But they were created way, way before the end of creation. So so that can't be the reason. Because I didn't have an answer. Until many years ago, I saw Zoya. Hashem gave me the answer because I really wanted it. If you really want the answer, he gives you the answer. If you just want the answer to make an excuse, you get nothing. You get stupidity and atheists and idiot answers. If you really want the answer, he'll give you the answer. I really wanted the answer. It really bothered me. So many, many, many years ago, I was learning Zoya Friday night, uh, Monte Shabbos, Pasha, whatever it was, and I think it was in Bereshit somewhere, and it talked about the parpar. The parpar I knew was a butterfly. And it says that Hashem created the parpar and made it the most beautiful insect of all insects. Because it's a, it's a raya to tzchias hamesa mashiach. That's what he says. Why? He says because in the butterfly, when it's in the cocoon, in the metamorphosis, the, the caterpillar dies, he splits open, he pretty much, he dries up, and he becomes a powder, it's called a chrysalis. And from that chrysalis, science doesn't understand how, but it does, from that chrysalis comes a lava, from the lava comes a, comes a butterfly. So, when the Torah tells us, when you're going to be a bunch of bones in the ground, and by they're going to get veins and blood and skin and all that stuff. Like, yeah, how could that happen, God? You can't do that. And God's like, I can do it every day. With a silly little insect. He becomes powder, he becomes bone, he becomes nothing. And then, 30 days later, he comes out with wings and eyes, antennas, beautiful, the most beautiful insect in the world. He says, when Mashiach comes, the human beings will be much more beautiful than he ever was. We're caterpillars right now. We're going to go into a cocoon. We're going to come out with butterflies. How can that be? You can't take something dead and make it alive. Hashem says they do it every day. So the parpa, the reason he didn't create a caterpillar and a butterfly is because if he created them as separate entities, you would never see Tchiesa Mason. Oh, my Rebbe would have told me that. You think I wouldn't have been a better kid growing up? If he wouldn't have, if he wouldn't have told me about the butterfly, that's a riot to Mashiach. Oh my God, I would have been going crazy. I would have been telling everybody. Don't ask questions. He didn't know the answer. Most people don't know the answer. But don't say don't ask questions. Say, we're going to look it up. We're going to try, work on it. There's got to be an answer. There's got to be an answer. There's a reason Hashem does things. When he told me don't ask the question, he was pretty much telling me that God does things for no reason. So don't ask. He should have said to me, everything has a reason. And we will search, and you will search your whole life, and one day Hashem will give you the reason. And that's what happened. But he didn't say that. Don't ask questions. But if we don't ask questions, there's no manashtana. No manashtana, we can't start the Haggadah. So the Baal Haggadah is telling you, when it comes to the chinuch of children, the most important thing is manashtana. That's why it became a minig that every kid comes home, tatachu defregen the firkashes. And I thought to myself, when I was preparing this year, but who's the real tata? Hashem, there's so much that I don't understand. I have so many questions. 
And at the end, my grandchildren and everyone who speaks Yiddish or English says, Zaydi or Tati, tell me the answer. Tell me the answer, Hashem. Show me the answer. If Hashem sees that you really are asking not to get away from Him, but you really want to know the answer, yeah, I could have learned the rest of my life and never seen that Zaya. Never seen that Zaya. I don't learn every Zaya. I learn a little bit. I learned three, four lines. I would have never seen it. But it bothered me because I wanted to understand Hashem's ways. So He opens your mind and He gives you these answers. And that is the Haggadah. That's the importance of the Haggadah. So we're going to end with a story. An amazing, an amazing, an amazing story. Every time I say this story, we definitely have to write it in a book. And the story is going to answer our question, Why you lean by matzah? Why do you lean by matzah? Matzah is poor man's bread. Leaning is a king. It seems to be a paradox. Or, my favorite word, an oxymoron. Make up, what am I doing? Am I a king or am I not a king? And the answer is like this. A long time ago, in a kingdom far away. Sounds like a storyteller. But anyway, in a kingdom far away, there was a king and a queen. They were amazing. They took care of their people. Amazing. They had no children. And the kingdom was very sad. Because they knew when the king and queen dies, someone else is going to take over. There's no royal blood. And... Who knows what's going to happen then? So they came to the king and queen and they said, they're taking upon themselves three days of prayer, three days of fast, that God should have mercy and give the king and queen a child. Because she became pregnant. Had a beautiful baby boy. And the whole nation, the whole country was partying and happy. king had a boy. The boy's going to take over the kingdom. Two, three years later, this little boy became very sick. He began to have very high fever. And he went into a coma. And the king was losing his child. And he called all his doctors from every land, from everywhere, from anywhere. And as much as they tried, and all the medicines they tried, nothing worked. And the kid went deeper and deeper into a coma. And he didn't have much time left. And one of his guards said to him, You know, king... Many years ago, I was hunting in the woods, and I was attacked by a wild boar, and I got bitten, and I was dying. And there are savages that live in your woods. They never come into civilization. And they carried me to this medicine man of theirs. And he put all kinds of medicines and leaves and stopped the bleeding. And within two days, I was back on my feet, and I was totally healed. Maybe we should call for him. Maybe I'll go into the woods, I'll find him, and I'll bring him back. But I have to tell you, King, he doesn't look normal. He's dressed in weeds and all types of bark and stuff from the woods, and he's very old. King said, what are you waiting for? Go get him. What are you waiting for? You crazy? you got to save my child. So he goes into the woods, and he finds the medicine man, and he goes to him, and he says, you know, the king, he's such a good king, he treats us all well and everything, and you, you're not part of civilization, but in civilization, he's, he's the best king that ever lived, and his son is dying, and if you could just come and help us. And he said, I wouldn't do this for anyone else, but I heard about the king, and I heard how, what a special person he is, I'm gonna come and help you. And he goes to the palace, and all the doctors, you know, with their white coats and their fancy things, they see this man, they're like, what is this? And he says, he's the medicine man from the woods, is he crazy? Homopathic medicine, this is not gonna help, this is not gonna work. And they're trying to talk the king out of it, the king's like, you guys didn't do it, we're gonna let him do it. So he walks into the room where the little boy is laying there and he looks at it and he realizes that he's really, really sick. And he tells everyone in the room that everyone has to leave. The king, the queen, everyone has to leave the room. And everybody leaves the room even though they were scared a little bit. And he takes out his potions and his, his roots and his, his berries and his plants and his bark and he puts it all together and he makes this like bottle of drink of some kind of medicine and the kid's in a coma and he forces the kid's mouth open and he pours in the medicine it's very very bitter and he and he and he pours it in and it took him two three days and the kids cheeks are coming back and three days after he started working on it the, the baby the boy opens his eyes and like who did him again everything is great and he saved the kid and the king calls him in he says I'll give you any amount of money come live in the castle 
the poor man says, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I don't do good with, I'm not in civilization. I'm very happy with my heart. I'm very happy living in the woods. I'm very happy helping the people that I live with. But if you really want to give me something, give me your son. Once a week, I want to come teach your son everything that I know about medicine. For when I die, there's no one else to carry on in the woods. And if he's the prince, he'll be able to come and help the people that are in the woods. The king said, no problem. You want to teach him, you can teach him. And from that time on, he would come once a week, and he would teach this little boy, and he would teach him the ways of the woods. He would take him into the woods, how to track, how to trap, how to use medicine, how to use water, how to find water. He taught him everything about the woods, and he turned him into a woodsman. And the boy grew up, and he got older and older, and he was like 14 years old. And there were very bad people, very, very bad people living that wanted to get this kid, kid, take this kid away so that they could take over the Malchus. As long as this kid was alive, he was going to be the next king. So they had this master plan. Now there were many times that the man from the woods, the medicine man, would sleep at night. He would be teaching the kid very late at night, and he would sleep in that room at night so he could go back to the forest the next morning. But of course, because he was a woodsman, he was always camouflaged. He sat in the corner of the room. And then one night, the window opens up, and three men come in with a bag, and they put chloroform on the kid's nose, and the kid's out. And they put him into his burlap bag, and the, the old man happened to have been there that night, and he realizes if he screams out for help, they'll slit the kid's throat and run. So he didn't want the kid to be to killed. So he follows them down the rope, and he follows them onto the boat, where they kidnap this, these pirates, kidnap this kid. And they take this kid for weeks and weeks to the West Indies to sell him as a slave. And all the time, the old man is on the boat, but nobody knows. And they put him, I'm telling it to you very fast, it's a very long story. And they put him in the slave market, and there's this man with his son standing there, and the man really wants to buy this kid because he's the same age, he's the same age as his son. So he spends a crazy amount of money, and he buys the prince, not knowing, of course, that it's a prince, and he brings him into his house and he says to his son, here, I bought you a friend. And the son says, no, dad, you bought me an enemy. I don't like him because the son didn't want to share his father's attention. So the father said, but I can't give him back. I spent so much money. He said, don't give him back. Put him in the kitchen. Let him work with the slaves. And the father said, if that's what you want, fine. And at 13 years old, he puts this kid, this prince, into this kitchen to work with all the slaves. And he's there for 10 years. For 10 years, he's in this kitchen and he's working so hard. And it's a kitchen where no one's getting paid and they're filthy and they don't have showers, they don't have bathrooms, they live in huts. This man treated his servants very badly. And this poor boy is working so hard, 18, 19 hours a day, totally forgot who he was, not dressed well, stunk, he didn't take showers. He was, he was a hard worker, totally forgot that he was a prince and he had a slave mentality. And he's 23 years old. And that boy hates him. And the boy goes to his father and says, You know what? I have an idea. Let's have some fun. There was a woman way older, in her 40s, way older than the, than the boy, the, 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 the king, the prince. And she was so ugly. You couldn't go near her. She stuck. She was Hilda the Horrible. And the boy told his father, Tomorrow night, let's force him, because they had that power being the masters. Let's force this kid, who's 23 years old, to marry that Hilda the Horrible. And they walk into the kitchen, and they call him over, and they say, Tomorrow's your big day! He's like, yes, sir, what, what's tomorrow? Hilda, get over here! Ugly, ugliest person you ever saw in your life. The no thing is an ugly person, but this was not good. And she says, yes, what could I do for you? And he's like, you want to get married? Pencil. To this 23-year-old guy. Me? Sure. Well, tomorrow night you're a bride. Go take a shower. This guy's like, please, please, you treated me so bad for the last, please, I'm begging you, don't do this to me. And they're like, They'll do this to you. This is your wife. This is the rest of your life. And that night he goes to his room. He sits on the edge of his bed. He starts to cry. 
and the old man for the first time in 10 years comes out of the corner of the room and says why are you crying he says why am I crying who are you where'd you come from you don't have a you don't have a bed in my room you don't you where'd you come from he said do you know who you are he says yes, I know who I am I, ki- I clean the kitchen I'm a kitchen slave he goes no you're not you're the prince of so and so says old man I don't know where you came from you're crazy I am no prince he goes you're a prince and tonight we're out of here you're not marrying that woman we're escaping he says I'm not escaping there's no escape he goes I've been working on this for years we have a boat waiting for you we're going to go out this window the guards are off tonight we got some of them drunk this is your chance you have to leave with me he says I'm not leaving with you I don't know who you are get out of my room and the old man realizes that totally has no idea who he is and he says okay you want me to leave I'll leave but I want to tell you I want to do something with you before I leave and he takes out that bottle of medicine that he had when he was a little boy and he pours it into a cup he says just drink this and tell me if you remember something and the prince who doesn't think he's a prince at this point says I'm not drinking anything you're giving me maybe it's poison and the old man looks at the prince and says poison or Hilda okay poison and he gives him this drink and it's so bitter he says ugh this is disgusting what did you give me he says you don't remember you know that is a bad tasting drink but I remember once having that give me some more he gives him another one and he drinks it again he's like oh wow I remember in a, I was in this big bed the last time I drank this I was in this big bed and you were holding my nose and forcing it down my throat that's right you remember the bed yeah it had a big canopy on it he goes you slaves have canopies on their bed drink more drink more drink more takes another drink he goes ugh wow I remember there was this beautiful woman with a crown and a, be- and a, and a man with a, a crown the old man says yes that's your father the king and your mother the queen and he starts to drink and the more he drinks the more he remembers that he was sick and his father and mother were there and that they threw a big party his big party because he, he came back to his health and he remembers learning about the woods and he remembers the old man and he's like okay I'll go with you wherever you want to go and they go down the wind and everything's set up and they, they leave and they come back to the country but the country after the last 10 years doesn't look like what it used to look like it was a happy country everything is dark and there's filth and garbage in the streets and the old man's like what happened here and they go running to the castle and in the castle the king and queen are sitting in the throne room skinny and dirty clothing and the crown is all filthy and their heads are down and the, the old man said, wow, look what happened in the last 10 years. And like, king and queen, we brought your brother, your son back. He's back. And they're like, don't try for the last 10 years. People were coming, trying to trick us. They were all frauds. Our son is dead. It's like, no, your son is not dead. Just look up at the boy I just brought home to you. And they look up and the boy looks exactly like his mother. They look at the mamash looking at his mother, and this, the king says, Oh my god, it's my son. And of course, the whole country changes, and they clean up, and it's a beautiful country. Very nice story, Rabbi Wallace. Where'd you get that story from? Medrish? No. I wrote that story many years ago about Pesach. What's the story? There was a king and a queen, and they had no children. And they looked for a child, and they they went to Esav, and Esav said, "You shouldn't kill. We don't want to be your child." And Yishmael said, "You shouldn't. You shouldn't commit adultery. We don't want to be your child." And Hashem went, and he went till he finally had a child called Klai Yisrael. Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Shivim, Nefesh. 
but the child became very sick. In Mitzrayim, the child fell to the 49th level of Tumah. Very sick, in a coma. The Jews were in a coma, and Hashem said, if I don't take them out now, they're dead. Why would they go out? They're so sick, why would they go out? Because Baruch Hu said, I'm going to give them a carbon Pesach. I'm going to give them matzah and mara. The matzah is going to give every Jewish soul a munah. Because you're not leaving the tribe if you don't believe. Hashem's telling you, I'm taking you into the midbar. Like, in the tribe, at least we had water and fish and watermelon. We're not going into the midbar. So the matzah that was given the, the night of Pesach was not given to them because they left the tribe in a rush and it turned into matzah. Because they didn't leave a triumph yet. Hashem gave them the medicine. The matzah, the Pesach, and the morrow was the medicine. And that medicine was the medicine of Amuna. And slowly but surely, we got healthy. And we left Mitzrayim. And Hashem taught us everything that He knew. He gave us the Torah, Torah Shabbat, Torah Shabbat, everything that came with it. And we were doing really well. But the rest of the world hated us, so they kidnapped us. When our base of was destroyed, they took us to Rome, they took us to Greece, and now, for 2,000 years, we're in the kitchen. We've totally forgotten that we were the, the children of Hashem. Comes Pesach. We're slaves. Our kids are off to derech. Our girls are getting dressed, not sneers. Our boys are drinking. Everyone has iPhones. We're so in the kitchen. We're so married to Hilda. To the filth and the dirt of the world. And Hashem comes on Pesach. And says, Lean! You're kings! You're the children of kings! Alright, what are you talking about? I'm leaning in my house with flatbush. I got my iPhone. I got my movies. I got my guys. I got my girls. I got my, I got my, my, my Johnny Walker Blue. I'm going to Atlantic City. I gamble. I do, I watch things on TV I should never watch or movies I should never watch. I'm a, I'm a prince. I'm not a prince. I am a kitchen slave. I am a slave to all my addictions. And the old man, which is God, the medicine man, says, you're not, you're, you're malachim. Lean! What are you talking about, old man? We talk about Hashem. Look what's going on. Hashem's like, I give you a mitzvah tonight, eat matzah. And the Zerah says that when you eat matzah, it's called the memenusa, lechem de menusa. You may not feel it, but your neshama feels like, I once ate this before. This is not the first time. Give me more matzah. Give me a kazayas. Come on, give me more matzah. Oh my gosh, I remember. We were sitting in Mitzrayim. Families. We saw Hashem by Kriyas Yamsov. We saw Hashem and all his nisim in the ten makos. Give me more matzah. And then Hashem wakes up. And then Shema wakes up and remembers that once upon a time there was a nation that left Mitzrayim. And we are really princesses and princesses, the children of kings, of a king, of a king. And therefore, when you eat the matzah, the matzah wakes up and reminds your soul that you're a prince. And that's why you lean. You lean specifically when you eat the matzah. That even though matzah has no taste and you don't really enjoy eating it, but it's the medicine that got us out of Mitzrayim. And that's why matzah is so important in our Seder. Probably the most important item in the Seder. Of course, you have the four cups. The four cups 
we lean because the four cups are, uh, is already were free. Gaalti and Lakakti, right? And the fifth cup is Hevesi. That's already all. But Matzah, and that's the answer to the question. This story that I wrote is the answer to your question. Because the Matzah is a lechem de Nusa, and it wakes up our souls, and therefore it, it reminds us that we're kings, and therefore why should I be sitting straight? When I'm being reminded that I'm a king, I should be sitting like a king. And that's why you lean when you eat matzah. May we all be zaycha, like in the story, to stand before the king as his children and state to the world, the prince is back. Kleistral is back to the beauty and to who we really are. May we all be zaycha. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.